Hello, people of the way. Uh, we are going to continue our study through the book of Acts. And if you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. I want to thank you guys for praying. Uh, thank you so much for your prayers. The Lord has answered. And uh, uh, it's awesome. One body with many parts. Uh, so Acts chapter 11. You know, my favorite topic of all time is the D word, the D word, and that is drama, drama. I think uh, you've heard me say this before, but the Lord has a sense of humor because he knows how much I um, don't have a particular liking to drama. And so he says, you know what? think I want you to be a pastor so drama very interesting what happens here in the book of Acts because if you remember in our study in chapter 10 the Holy Spirit now is going to the Gentiles which is a whew, this is a brand new phenomenon this is like unheard of I mean literally unheard of you know what's kind of cool is that in a private prayer prayer conversation the Lord revealed it to Ananias in his prayer. Remember how Ananias was freaked out? He's like, wow, Lord, I don't know if I can take this Saul guy in because, you know, he's killing Christians. He's having them in prison. And then the Lord revealed to him, hey, he's my vessel. I'm going to use him for the Gentiles. So Ananias, in his uh, uh, personal uh, uh, intimacy with the Lord, he had a little, he was privy to the, the, the where the, the direction the Lord was going. Um, and it's so cool. That's what that's what intimacy has. That's what intimacy does for you, for me, for for all who believe. And then at the same time, look what happens here in Acts eleven. So the the Holy Spirit is has fallen on the Gentiles. It's already it's now history. It's done. But there's some drama that arises in verse two. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but look at the end of verse two. It says those of the of the circumcision contended with him. Speaking about Peter. They had some beef with Peter. And so of the Jewish believers, there was some opposition to Peter. Like, hey, Peter, what's going on? This is this is for us. This is our this is our deal. You know, God's promises to the Jews. And what's so cool about chapter 11, it's so beautiful. As much as I don't like drama, you know, you hear me say all the time, our, our old pastor in California, he always used to say, you know, if everybody was obedient to the word of God, there would be no counseling. There would be no marriage counseling, counseling with two brothers that are having a beef, two sisters that are having a beef, drama in family, drama with friends, drama at work, drama, work, drama, drama, drama. Everywhere you look, drama. And our pastor always used to say, you know what, if everybody was obedient to the word of God, you wouldn't have these issues. And I remember hearing that and I was like, man, that's like you could see people like kind of squirming in their seats. And I'm thinking like, man, I like this guy. This is a cool guy. Until the hammer started to fall on my heart. Until the knife started to hit my heart. And so what's so cool about this is that you see the church. A different church. I mean, when I say church, you, you get out of the your, your mindset of the modern day church. You know, I, we can pray that the church today gets to the point of the book of Acts. You know, make, let that be a, a, an earnest prayer of yours. But you look at the book of Acts, 
the church in the book of Acts. You look at individual Christians in the book of Acts and there's a little disconnect with what you see today. And I say that with no disparaging sentiments towards the Lord. It's His church. We're His church. We're His bride. I say that kind of like a, a little sad because it's like, man, you know, can't we do better? Can't we do better? And pray that we do. Pray that the Helper, you know, teaches us and shows these shows us these things. But you know what? It requires humility. That's what it requires. So there's this beef that arises in the church. And look what happens here. Remember, Peter, just he's in Joppa in chapter 10. He's in Joppa. And then all of a sudden, he gets a call to go to Caesarea. And Caesarea, that's where Cornelius, the house of Cornelius was. And so he's in Caesarea and the Holy Spirit fell on his house. Those who were in his house hearing. In verse 46 of chapter 10, so it says, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. You know, and then all the, and then they were baptized. You look at verse 47, they were baptized. He stayed there a couple days, a few days. He says the last verse in verse 48. So look, let's look at verse 1 now of, you know, about, of chapter 11. We're going to kind of hone in on this drama. And verse 11 says, Now the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So, you know, word is spreading. You know, it's, there's no like Facebook, no social media, no uh, cell phones, no phones for that matter. You know, it's just like, you know, the word is just kind of spreading from house to house to church to church. Like, oh, did you hear what happened with Cornelius and his household? Did you hear this? You know, I heard that they're Christians now. And so word is spreading. And what happens is that it makes its way down to the area of Judea, which is like where Jerusalem, that's kind of like the, you know, where, where our Lord was crucified. Not kind of, it is where our Lord was crucified. And so look what happens in verse 2. Then it says, and when Peter, and when Peter came up to Jerusalem, so, you know, he, he returns to Jerusalem. He says, those of the circumcision contended with him. There was some beef. They said in verse 3, saying, You went into an uncircumcised, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. I think verse 3 is a little revealing because, you know, it's like, wow, you know, I heard that Cornelius and his house, that they received the Holy Spirit, that they were baptized, they're believers now. And instead of saying, wow, praise the Lord, they're believers, you know, his beef or, you know, the beef with the uh, those of the circumcision is like, Peter, you ate with these people? You ate with them? And it blows me away so much because it reminds me of the stranglehold of religion. The stranglehold of tradition. Remember, there's a hardcore strangle, hardcore grasp that the law has on these people. It's a like freshly born church. And you know, it's such a trip because sometimes people come out of Catholicism. People come out of Mormonism. They come out of Jehovah's Witness. They come out of all kinds of different belief systems. And they're a new believer in Christ. But then at the same time, there's a lot of baggage to let go of. A lot of baggage to let go of. You know, I remember in my own life, the baggage that I had to let go of with Catholicism. You know, about the Virgin Mary things about grace, things about uh, communion, 
These are things that, you know, I had to deny, you know. Yes, I was a brand new believer in Christ, but there were still traits of this stranglehold of tradition that was in my heart and in my mind. It's like, you know, you read, you hear a priest, they got the black thing on, they got the little white thing on their neck, and you hear a priest talk about Jesus Christ. And you think like, wow, you know, Jesus Christ, cool. And then you you talk to a Christian, they're talking about Jesus Christ. And you're like, wow, you know, you guys are the same. But then doctrinally, they're not the same. Because the Bible doesn't say anything about the Virgin Mary, you know, going to purgatory and rescuing our dead relatives, you know, that we have to pray, we have to do mass and light candles and pray to the Virgin Mary to go down into purgatory And, you know, grab hold of our dead relative and take him or her up to Jesus Christ. You won't find it in the Bible. But you hear a Catholic talk about uh, these tenets and make mention of Jesus Christ. And you think like, wow, this is so holy. Then you read the Bible and then all of a sudden you realize, man, you know what? What, what? What in the world was I subjecting myself to? You start to question like, wow, what in the world? You know, like my mom and dad. They love me to death. They've raised me. And why didn't they say anything about this? Surely they wouldn't deceive me. No, it's, it's not to say that, you know, they're, they're the willing participants in deception. Is to say that's the stranglehold of deception that Satan has on these people. Family, friends, relatives. Look at a beautiful, beautiful grandma. Beautiful grandma who wants the best things for her grandbabies. And then, but she's Catholic, you know, and she prays the rosary. She gives them crosses. She gives them the the little uh, scapulet, all these things. It's not to say that her heart is, you know, in the wrong place. It's to say her doctrine is in the wrong place. Her belief system is in the wrong place. It's not that I want to come against and break through family relations. You know, it's. You know, maybe I shouldn't even say that because, you know, I'm a a hardcore advocate for a different family, a different family, a family that is not of this world currently, currently. Jesus Christ is coming again and this heavenly family will be in this world, not of this world, but in this world that is fading and will fade. Remember, there's going to be a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. All these things are prophesied and will come to pass. And you consider this stranglehold of tradition, you know, that the enemy has on people through benevolent religion, benevolent tradition. And I say benevolent with air quotes because it's like, wait a second. Yeah, you know, benevolence is easily corrupted. Never forget that. Easily corrupted by Satan. He'll take someone's piety and say, wow, you know, you what? You want to honor the Lord? Okay, look what Leviticus says. So therefore, you start doing this thing. You start doing these. You start performing these sacrifices, these rituals. That's how Satan works. But when you have the full counsel of the word of God, and not just applying brain, like intellect, not just like the brain stuff. Remember, we have a helper, capital H, the Holy Spirit. 
Very important. Remember, the Holy Spirit has been directed. Chapter 10, it's the Holy Spirit. You know, I don't say the Holy Spirit as independent of the Lord because God is one. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is moving. God is the one who's direct. God is the one who gave the vision to Cornelius. God is the one who gave the vision to Peter. God is the one who arranged this divine appointment in chapter 10. And it's so new to the church. Remember, the vision came to Peter. He's kind of like the, he's the only one in the church in the, of the Messianic church. He's the only one that received the vision. And so the fact that there's now Cornelius and his, his family and friends that are of the faith, air quote. I say of the faith from the perspective of the Messianic Jews like Peter. What in the world are you doing? This is for us. This is our deal. This is, this is for us. This isn't for them. They are, you know, uh, dirty people, the Gentiles. They're not pure like us. And so there's this major contention. And this is the stranglehold of tradition. The stranglehold of religion. You see it here in the early church. Drama. That arises. You know, you ever talk to people? It's like, man, you know, hey, you got a problem. There's this. And then you like, this other person. Okay, that's cool. You have to say, let's see what the other guy has to say. Then they say their spiel. And it's like, oh, brother. Oh, brother. If, you know, you take one guy aside. Look, you obey this passage. You know, this is where you're, you know, you do all these things awesome. And I love it. Yeah, I love you as a brother. But you know what? Let's see what the Bible says here. Now, you do some homework, you apply this in your life. Go to the other guy, okay? Same thing. I like this about you. This is awesome. You rock in this. But then at the same time, it's to say, look, this is, this is where you need help. You know, let's read these passages. You see what it says here in Proverbs? Read this, study this, and apply this in your life. And, you know, separate the two, come back together, and it's like, okay, what's, where's the beef? Where's the beef? Oh, but you don't understand this guy. You know, he did. He disrespected me. You know, the world disrespect. We're Christians. We're not of this world. The world, this world hates you. The whole world disrespect you. You know, if you're gonna have a chip on your shoulder, it's like you, you better get some more shoulders. I don't know what you're gonna do, but you know, you better, I don't know. Pray. You know, do something. But this world is. We're not. We don't belong here. The world will hate you, and the world already hates you. In fact, this little scuffle kind of reveals you know a deeper carnality oh i don't like which i'm gonna go to this church big church where i can just you know disappear get mixed in get lost in the sauce just to say wait a second you know it's not that i it's not that i'm trying to be a jerk i'm not trying to hurt i'm not trying to cause pain i'm not trying to amplify an issue i'm trying to say let's get to the root of the issue and a lot of times because people have problem with authority they don't want to do it and i'm not speaking about my authority i'm speaking about the authority of the word of god when you recognize the authority of god in your life and not just recognize it but respond to him it puts things in a greater perspective and i always think you know, i'm so thankful for you know like military experience 
because you could be at any rank, you know, talking with a, a lieutenant, which is like the low, lowest form of officer. But he's still in charge. Butterbar is straight out of college. You know, lieutenant, wet behind the ears. He still calls the shots. He says, hey, we're going to go attack this hill. Hey, we're going to go into that building. Hey, we're going to clear out this neighborhood. It doesn't matter if there's a wall of bullets that you have to go through. You're going to do it. I, in my circle, I, you know, I don't know how any, anybody else does it. I got an idea how they do it, but you know, we'll say that for another conversation. But you're going to do it. Even in death, even if you die, you're going to do it. You just look at, you know, Vietnam, Vietnam War, Korea. World War One, World War Two, And that's just, I'm just speaking about a lieutenant. Butter bars. What about a first lieutenant? What about a captain? What about a colonel? You get into like, you know, major colonel. What about... Uh, Brigadier General. You know what that sense is to be a private and to stand, you know, in front of a colonel? It's like utmost respect because this person is responsible not only for lives but responsible for winning battles, calling some major, major shots. And you render obedience even in the face of death. But you know what happens in a snowflake generation? Uh, people, uh, you know, they start to question authority. I was reading an article. The Harvard, there's this Harvard professor. She's like making some hardcore, you know, talking with congressmen, all these political people against homeschooling. And they say, you know, oh, she, you know, I was listening. And she says, well, you know, homeschooling, it's like uh, she doesn't like it. She doesn't agree with it. She doesn't think it's healthy for children because it's too authoritarianism, too much authoritarianism. And, uh, you know, I'm reading, I'm like, what's the, what's the problem with a mom and dad having authority over their kid? No problem whatsoever. But there's that saying, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village. No, it doesn't. It takes a mom and it takes a dad. That's what it takes to raise a child. It takes a mom and it takes a dad, but there's this breakdown of the family, the, the, what, the, what, you know, these, these values that we adhere to that emanate from Judeo-Christian values, that emanate from Holy Scripture. And it's to say, wait a second, you know, you want to take your kid and submit him, submit her to the village? What happens when everybody in the village is a bunch of idiots? What happens when everybody in the village is stupid themselves? When they reject the Lord? What about when they're under God's wrath in accordance with Romans 1? You're going to subject your kid to that? Your son, your daughter to that? You know, it's, it's, we live in a crazy, crazy world. But these kids grow up and it's like, wow, they have a huge problem with authority. You talk to an eight-year-old who has an issue with authority, that can be dealt with. You don't deal with that. You talk to an 18-year-old that has issues with authority, you can have some issues. 
You know, they say, okay, I'm off to college. It's like, good, get out of here. It's like, I'm off to college. It's like, oh, man, you're breaking my heart. I'm going to pray for you every day. I'm going to pray for you every day. I guess, you know, if you're like, good, get out of here, you can still pray for them. You know, Maybe a little repenting, you know, pray for yourself too. Like, you know, forgive me, Lord. <laughs> but a lot of people have a huge problem with authority. And what happens when our authority is the word of God? You know, I, I saw this commercial the other day. It's like, you know, the brain on drugs. You know, like back in the 80s when I was a kid, they had this commercial on TV, a frying pan on the oven, on the stovetop, you know, and it's like, this is your brain. And they crack an egg and say, this is your brain on drugs. Any questions? And the egg is frying. Any questions? And that was the end of the commercial. And I remember all the teachers would talk about it. And like, don't do drugs, don't do drugs. It's like, okay, I want to do drugs. But then I see the like the updated commercial the other day, you know, and they, they, say, they say the same thing with frying pan. This is your brain, the crack an egg. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? And then all these kids are asking, yes, I got a question. I got a question. Here's my question. And it's like, man, you know what? Just don't do it. That's why it trips me out. You see mom and dads, you know, they're like explaining themselves to a child. The child's like five years old. And they're like, you don't have to explain yourself. I mean, maybe when they're 15, explain it. Maybe when they're 12, explain so they can have an understanding. But to have a healthy, like, hey, you know what? This is the authority figure. This is the authority figure. Mom, why can't I put my finger in the socket? Because I told you not to, you know? Dad, you know, why can't I stick my arm in this engine compartment? Because I told you not to. And if you do it, you know you're toast. And then, you know, when they're 8, 9, 10. You remember when I told you not to stick your arm in the engine compartment while it's running? Because, look, this is what would have happened to you. You know? It would have tore your arm off. It might have sucked you right in and killed you. You know? Hey, baby girl, you remember when I told you not to put your finger in the socket? Look, this is why. You know? Because there's an electric current here. And then it would go through you. could have killed you. You see these parents now, it's like, you know, they have, you look at 15-year-old kids nowadays. Everybody has a problem with authority. Remember the Bible teaches us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to happen. As surely as he lives, it's going to happen. You know what's much better? Is to do it willingly right now. <laughs> is to say, yes, Lord, you know, bow down in reverence of him. And I love what happens here because Peter, I'll just, I'll keep reading. So in verse 3, they say, you went into, uh, in, in, into uncircumcised men and ate with them. That was the beef they had. But Peter, in verse 4, explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, so he starts to explain, hey guys, this is what happened. And you know, you remember a couple weeks ago, I think it was on a Wednesday study. Might have been on a Sunday, but it kind of feels like a Wednesday. But do you remember when, you know, the, that concept of, you know, about holiness can precede you? And I gave the example of a Christian and a crackhead, you know, where it's like the Christian, you know, beautiful, beautiful Christian, male, female, it doesn't matter. It's like, wow, I love being with this guy. I love being with this girl. It's so awesome. 
You know, it's like holiness, righteousness. It precedes them. There's a trail of like beauty behind them. All around, it's like this holy bubble around them. It's like, wow, I, I like, I like, you know, my bubble being next to this guy. You know, and it's so cool because it's like that's the body. You know, the bubbles like coming together. That's the body of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you have the crackhead. It's like, oh, man, I don't know. This guy's going to ask me for 50 bucks so he can go buy crack. He's going to talk about all these things, drop all these F-bombs and cuss like crazy, do all these things. I don't want to. Oh, man, it's a drag. You know, maybe if he comes into my house, he's going to steal something. It's like, man, let's just talk in my front yard, you know, and I'll tell him about Jesus and, you know, pray for him. I'm not going to give him pearls. I'll just drop little tiny nuggets. No pearls. I don't want to cast my pearls before swine. In accordance with what the Lord teaches us. Obedience to His direction. But then it's like that concept. What is what is His trail of destruction look like? What is What precedes Him? What kind of like, you know, mess? What kind of muck precedes Him? And so, you know, there's those, those concepts. You know, is it a holy and righteous bubble? Or is it a wicked and, 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 and cruel bubble? In the case of Peter, holiness preceded him. Holiness was his bubble. Righteousness was his bubble. And I think it's so beautiful, you know, when you look at, you know, when they say bubble, that, that, that's, a, that's a loaded word. You know, it's kind of a little jovial, but then at the same time, you have to consider what the Bible teaches us about the fruit of the Spirit, godly witness, godly character, Jesus Christ in you. The work of the Holy Spirit, obedience to the Word of God, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's no question of motives. I mean, say, for example, if there was, if we had beef with Peter, and we love Peter, we like adore Peter. I mean, he he walked with Jesus, and, and it's like, man, you know, I I love this guy so much. You know, he doesn't come to my house and say like, hey, you know, let me raid your fridge. You know, it's like he, he doesn't do any of that stuff. He's a Christian. He's a messenger. He's an apostle. He's proclaiming Jesus Christ. Think about his holy bubble around him. And when he speaks, he's not, he's, I mean, he, we're about to read what he says. And he's not coming at it from a perspective, well, you know, I want to, I want to grow my church, so yeah, I'm going to, you know, say whatever. That's carnal. He's not saying, well, you know, I'm trying to grow my church because, you know, next year I want to buy a, you know, a brand new mansion. So I'm going to, you know, add some, you know, uh, say this, say that, so people can join and people can give and all these things. And I'm just going to expand my empire. You know, church isn't a business. It's God's business. It's not man's business. Peter is not a hireling. He's he's walking the walk. He talks the talk and he walks the walk. Zero, absolutely zero hypocrisy. At this point, we're going to see a couple more chapters. Something happens, a a little bit more drama. We're about to see, but at this point, it's like there's zero motives. And I don't want to say, I don't want to paint Peter in a bad light. I want to paint him in the most beautiful, beautiful light because I love the bubble around him. I'm so in love with the bubble around him. I want to be in that bubble. I want to be as close as I can to that bubble. 
because he can teach me and he can teach you. Maybe not so much with the things that he says, but with the things that he does, his actions, the, the work of his hands, the work of his feet, the, what comes out of his mouth, which is the outpouring of his heart. I love his bubble. And I want my bubble to be right next to him. And among many, many of the cloud of witnesses that are surround us. So look what happens here. There's no question to his motives. So he starts to give a report in verse 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance. Remember, he was in ecstasy. And in the trance, I saw a vision. You know, there's that saying. I'm going to say this all the time because it's very common. And I notice it's growing, it's gaining steam in the church today. But there's this saying, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Dumbest saying I've ever heard in my life. If you're a Christian... And I pray that's the case. If you're a Christian, if it's not the case, I pray that you repent and receive Jesus Christ. I hope you do. But you know what? When you walk with the Lord, you're already no earthly good. When you walk with the Lord, you are no earthly good. This world hates you. And Satan wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. People always say, yeah, I want peace in my life. I want peace in my life. It's to say, wow, you know, the Prince of Peace is the one who said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. We're not in paradise. I've been to places on this world where you have the label of paradise. But it's not paradise. There's sin everywhere. There's golden calves everywhere. And you see what Peter is doing, you know, he's like, he's so heavenly minded that he's in a trance, he's in ecstasy. And then all of a sudden the Lord gives him a vision. He says in verse five, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners. And it came to me when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four footed animals of the earth, wild bees, creeping things and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord. I think this is so cool because, you know, this is, we're not going to do you know, too much study in these verses. Because, I mean, we, we're going to go through it but, and study it. But remember, we just, we just studied this, you know, in chapter 10 last week or the week prior, you know, in the first, first half of chapter 10. We just studied it. What he's doing is he's giving an account to the brethren in Jerusalem, in, in Judea. You know, the Messianic Jews, they say, Peter, what are, you, what are you doing in the Gentile? Why are you eating with them? Jesus Christ is for us. And so he's explaining what happened. But you see the intimacy that Peter has with the Lord. Not so, Lord, he says. For nothing common or unclean has at, has at any time entered my mouth, but the voice answered me again from heaven. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. You know, I have to say this too. Peter's witness lends a multitude of credence to this as an account. You know, examine the subject and then examine the subject. You say, what do you mean examine the subject and examine the subject? Okay, e examine the subject matter 
what Peter is saying, and then examine, examine the subject, Peter himself. Do you ever talk to crazy people in the church? And they're just crazy. They say, oh yeah, God told me this, God told me this, God told me this. And you look at their life, you're like, what in the world? Where's the fruit of the Spirit in this guy? Where's the fruit of the Spirit in this lady? Where's the, where's the holy bubble? Where's the holiness that precedes them? Where's the trail of righteousness that is right after them? I see the opposite. I see the opposite. I see a trail of destruction behind this guy. I see, uh, you know, uh, 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 the, the destruction precedes this lady. And they're telling me God is speaking to them. If the Lord is speaking to them, he's saying, hey, repent, get right with me. Or it could be that an angel disguised as an angel of light. And I don't mean an angel, a godly angel. I mean a demon. You know, a demon, as much as, you know, we, we put on Christ, we wear holy garments, metaphysically speaking. Dark angels, demons, they can put on, you know, they can put on white robes. They can present themselves as an angel of light. That's, the Bible teaches us that they can. And they do. Not just that they can, but they do. So Peter's witness, his history, his walk. is lending credence to the very things that he's saying. Whenever, but whenever somebody tells you, yeah, the Lord told me this, you know, they come at you like a thus saith the Lord kind of thing. Examine the subject and examine the subject. What is the subject matter they're saying? Does it align with scripture? If the answer is no, dismiss it. Let it go in one ear and not the other. And then maybe go fishing for this guy and say, hey, you know what? You're crazy. You need to repent. But, you know, because there's snowflakes, they have issue with uh, uh, authority. Don't call me crazy. Don't call me crazy. Well, okay, let's examine what you're saying. You're saying this. You're saying this, you know. You're saying it's okay to the, this sexual behaviors. I had a conversation with the lady one time. It's Calvinistic in nature. And I was saying, you mean to tell me that a guy, a married guy, could, you know, be married and then, like, be cheating on his wife get done cheating with his wife, drive home, get in a car accident, and then, like, he's in heaven? She's like, yes, you know, once saved, always saved. You look at the Bible script. You know, don't be deceived. Paul says, don't be deceived. You know, the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Not just that. I'm just, you know, honing in on that right now. Still don't play games with sin. You know, and I'm not trying to say like, you know, we have to take this, you know, approach where it's like, you know, we have to, it's not works based. It is faith based. But what does Brother James tell us? Faith without works is dead. He points to Genesis 22. What do you read when he says, you know, Abraham was faithful in, in, in James, James 2. But then he points to, he mentions Abraham. You read the account of Abraham and you know what happened? It's the Lord saying, Abraham, I want you to do this. And Abraham is saying, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Abraham, do this. Yes, Lord, I'll do this. Abraham, do this. Yes, Lord, I'll do it. You know what it is? Obedience. Obedience. That's how the Lord works. Obedience. 
So when I say examine the subject, you know, examine what's being said, measure it with the Word of God, but then not just what's being said, but the source, the heart of where it's coming from. You know, is this, you know, yeah, a crack addict telling me, you know, thus saith the Lord. And then, you know, oh, that's so judgmental. How can you say that? Well, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I also don't want to mince words. If the crackhead is telling you, thus saith the Lord, don't listen to him. But if the righteous and the godly is saying, hey, thus saith the Lord, then examine what they're saying. When the two align, like was what happening with Peter, a godly man explaining what the Spirit has revealed to him and the work of the Spirit, and it's like, whoa, this is, you can't deny it, it's undeniable. This is how the Lord works. And you know, I have to say, you know, we've kind of put ourselves in a bad situation as Christians. Not just because of division. I mean, there's division, which uh, it's sad, but I'm okay with it. He's like, what do you mean you're okay with division? Well, look what's out there, you know. You have uh, trans, transgender pastors. You have uh, lesbian pastors. You have. It's like, okay, I want to be divided from those. I want to be divided from that because I read the Bible and that's not right. You go to church, you know, Foursquare Church. They have the women pastors. I want to. I want to be divided from that. I want to be disassociated with that. Not because I hate them. They say, "Wait, the Bible says this. The Bible says, you know, this about homosexuality. The Bible says this about women teacher, women pastors." So I'm not going to subject myself to that. Why? Because the Bible says not to. And in obedience to the Bible, if I render obedience to a man, say I go to a four square church. You go to a four square church. Render obedience to a woman pastor. It looks holy. It looks like, okay, you know, you know, she, she has the doctorates. She has the theology degrees. And so, yeah, I'm going to subject myself to her. But then you start to read the Bible and there's the disconnect. No, render obedience to the word of God. Just to say, I'm sorry, you know. Then she becomes the fish. You become the fisherman. But because of pride, selfishness, and authority issues. You know how difficult it is to win that soul? Because that person has to deny themselves. And say, you know what? You're right. And it's not a matter of being right. It's to say, you know what? You're right because this is what the Bible says. You've won a brother. You've won a sister. So as much as I hate division, I don't mind it. I kind of like it. I meant from a safety perspective. Remember, Jesus Christ, I didn't, you know, don't think I came to bring peace. The Prince of Peace is saying this. Don't think that I came to bring peace. I came to divide. Because why? The wheat and the tares have to grow together until the harvest. The wheat and the tares have to grow together. Remember, Master. You know, what do you want me to do? You, you, want, you want us to go through the, the field and pull out the, the weeds? Pull out the tares? He says, no, don't do that because you might uproot the wheat. I don't want you to do that. 
but let the two grow together until the time of the harvest. The time of the harvest is near, the nearest it's ever been. I mean, literally since yesterday. But you look at what's happening in the world today, and it is wild. Wild days that we're living in. You know, all, all, all glory to the Lord, but wild days we're living in. You know, the, the, the Temple Institute, they're saying that the temple's going to be, they're going to start construction on the temple by next year, next Passover. I don't know if it's going to happen, but supposedly the peace plan in Israel is supposed to start to resume in July. Israel elections, they almost went to a fourth election, but they made an agreement. They kind of like shared like a, a, a round table, you know, like it's going to be uh, against or Netanyahu for one period and then Gantz, it's going to rotate. It'd be like in our elections in America, say Trump and Biden. You know, there's this election and then they tie. And then a second election, they tie. And then rather go to the third, fourth election, it's like to say, okay, let's have a, a, a unity government where you have rotating. So for six months, it's Trump. Six months, it's Biden. Six months, it's Trump. That's what they're doing in Israel today. And it's wild things are happening. Especially when you look at the political alliances of both Netanyahu and Gantz. Me personally, Gantz kind of freaks me out a little bit. Not in a bad sense, but kind of it's cause for concern because of his ties with uh, uh, the Islamic movement. Political ties. And I don't like political ties. Political ties are dangerous because they, they lead to harmful things geopolitically. And so you see what's happening here, like Peter's witness. And remember who's speaking when he's saying these things. It's not, he's not crazy. He's not from crazy town. He's not, I don't want to suggest anything impure, but he's not like, you know, what you see today. Imagine if they're a crackhead telling you these exact same things. Not to talk smack about the crackhead, but to say, hey, crackhead, you know, get rid of the crack. Don't get rid of it. If they go to jail, it's like, wow, praise the Lord. You know, sometimes I talk to, you know, uh, drug addicts. And it's like, wow, you know, they use jail as a detox. So they go to jail, it's like, wow, they, they can't do their drugs. It's like, wow, use it as a detox. Yeah, you know, you're, you're going through your pains and whatever, but you come out and you're like, you know, the fight is going to be even worse because you're going to be fiending. But praise be to the Lord, that's how he works. You know, put down the crack pipe. Hold my hand. Walk with me for a little bit. Let me teach you about Jesus Christ. Let me teach you about the fruit of the Spirit. About the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The empowering of the Holy Spirit. And then, when you tell me, hey, you know, the Lord is telling me this. I was like, let me, let me hear what you got to say. Let me, let me hear it. And they start to speak, you know, this is what the Lord put on my heart. This is what the Lord told me. Okay, it's not biblically inaccurate. It aligns with scripture. Let's pray. Let's pray for revealing. Let's pray for direction. Let's pray. Let's. But it's like, okay, you know, you're still a crackhead. You come out of jail, you're still a crackhead. And you're telling me, thus saith the Lord. I'm not gonna. That's how people get. They get swindled. You know, a crackhead gets out of jail. And then all of a sudden goes back to his, his, his girl, you know. Oh yeah, baby, I'm not gonna hurt you. Yeah, I'm done with the crack. I'm I'm done with the crack, you know. And then all of a sudden the lady's like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll buy into that. And then she's in a mess. In a mess. That's what you see. 
And then you talk to these Christians, Christians, brothers and sisters. They say, I got these problems. I got, you know, this, this thing came up in my life. Or, you know, I'm going through these marriage problems, you know. My husband does the crack, you know. My husband beats on me. He's always high. And it's like, wait a second, you know, like, let's hit the rewind button for a second. Not to, you know, not to beat you over the head with this. But let's hit the rewind button. Okay, rewind, 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 stop. You remember, see what you did here? Where was your stand here at this point? Where was your stand? And because you had no stand back then, look at the fruit of it today, right here and now. Look at what you're experiencing today because you failed to take a stand right here. I don't want to knock you, brother. I don't want to knock you, sister. But I'm telling you this for the next stand, your next opportunity to stand. You know, yeah, you know, we're going to go through this. We're going to get through this. We're going to pray. We're going to do all these things. But you know what? When the fight comes again, you have to stand. You have to stand. Don't be tossed to and fro. Don't make these wishy-washy, you know, deals with the devil. Oh, you hurt my feelings. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. You know, if you don't want me to hurt your feelings and, you know, like, there's... When you're confronted with your own carnal decisions, and I tell you from experience, it's painful. <laughs> you know, it hurts. Truth hurts. It's so painful. I mean, I, I'm not telling you this like, you know, oh, you know, this is like, you know, the crackhead. This is like the, you know, the drug dealer, the alcoholic, the sex addict. This is, a, you know. I had my own vices. You know, Satan had me in a stronghold. I had my own vices, and I'm telling you from experience. As formerly shackled to Satan. So remember who's speaking here with Peter. He's like, you know, there, Peter, what's up? The beef arise, the drama. In verse 3, there was contention. Those are the circumcision contended with him. Or verse 2, I should say. And so he starts to speak. In verse 10. Now this was done three times and all were drawn up again into heaven. He's giving, he's telling him the vision. That's why I have such a beef with these people who say, Oh yeah, you know, God doesn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't move like he did in the book of Acts. That was for 2,000 years ago and only for then. You see what's happening? They're confining the work of the Holy Spirit in the history books. Rather than saying, you know what, let's take this history book off the shelf, open it up, and say, Lord, this is for me today. This is how the Holy Spirit works, worked back then and how it is working today. Rather than say that, they're closed off to it. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the Holy Spirit. You say, what do you mean the acts of the Holy Spirit? Well, how does He act inside of you, inside of you know, the temple, the Shekinah glory. You, you're telling me that that was for 2,000 years ago? No, brother, no, sister. No way. And so look, he says, At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me, pause here for a moment. I mean, how would you feel if Brother Peter, we had a beef, say for example, we were in our church building, 
you know, pre-social distancing days. And we have a beef with Peter. Oh, man, I can't believe he's doing this. I can't believe it. What's wrong with Peter? And we find out he's coming. You know, he's going to come pay us a visit. Peter, I love you, man. You know, we give him an embrace, you know, hug. I love you, Peter, so much. But I got some beef with you, man. Why did you do this? Why did you do this? And then he starts to speak. And as he's speaking, he says, you know what? The Spirit told me, you guys. The Holy Spirit told me. Because of his holy bubble, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm open, I'm receptive to the things he has to say. I'm open to the things he has to say. Even when he tells me, hey, you guys, the Holy Spirit told me. The Holy Spirit told me. His, his holiness and his righteousness, you know, it preceded him. And you know what? Holiness and righteousness still precedes people today. Your holiness. Your righteousness. What do you mean? No one is righteous. That's, it's true. No one is righteous. But what about Jesus Christ in you? He is holy. Is he in you? Is he in you? You say, yes, he's in me. Praise be to the Lord. Let me fan this into flame. Let me take my little, I don't know, the accordion thing. I don't know what you call that. Let me fan this. Let me blow on it. You know, let's, let's fan this into a mighty flame. You say, no, you know, Jesus Christ used to be in me. But he's not in me anymore. Are you sure? Are you sure? Maybe there's a little ember in your heart. Maybe it's not bright red. Maybe it's just, you know, maybe it looks black. A black ember. And it looks like it's an old ember. But if I bet you, if I, you know, take the little accordion deal and I pump it as fast as I can and this huge burst of air gets on it, I bet you. That that thing can be glowing again. And I bet you that maybe that glowing ember can turn into a huge flame. Let's give it a shot. Let's try. But then what if a crackhead is coming to you? Hey, you guys, yeah, the spirit told me. No, 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 no. Doesn't work that way. Hey, you guys, the spirit told me. You know? And then they start saying, this is what the Lord told me. He told me, and he starts saying all these things that are totally unbiblical. That's a demon, dude. That's a demon. You need to repent and get right with the Lord. And next time that demon, next time that voice comes to you, you say, get behind me, Satan. Fight. Oh, what's this? You haven't learned how to fight? Okay. Hold my hand. Let's learn how to fight. From words of a paper, let's learn how to fight. I'll show you. Okay, what, who are you to show me? Well, you know what? These are these are battles that the Lord has helped me with. It's not to say that, you know, uh, you know, look at me, look how awesome I am. It's not to say come off like that. And if I do, you know, forgive me. You have to, you know, God is sovereign. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I don't mean it. But you see how this works? I don't want to come off and say like, yeah, you know, let me show you. I'm going to say, hey, you know what? Follow me. Walk with me. You know, I say follow me as I walk, as I follow Christ. But let's read the Bible and learn how to fight. Let's read the Bible so when those demons come, you can analyze 
the subject, analyze the subject, the two subjects, and say, wow, this is of the Lord. Or you can say, you know what? This is demonic. Get behind me, Satan. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. You learn how to fight. Because you know what? You know what's going to happen in the last days if it's not already happening now? And I can make a strong case that it is happening now. Satan knows his days are up. He knows. And he's going to put up a fight like crazy. And we used to study, you know, like war tactics. You know, when you're in a battle and you're in combat and the intensity, the tempo of battle increases, it's a good sign. You think like, man, you know that we're taking heavy firepower, like heavy opposition. And you're telling me this is a good sign? Yes, because what happens is that the enemy, they put up the greatest fight right before they're about to lose. Right before they're about to lose. So you know when the tempo of combat changes, you know, okay, it's just a matter of time now. Just a matter of time. And that's what it's going to be like in the last days, how the enemy is going to increase his tempo, increase the fire. And then what happens? You know, we're going to take casualties because there's a lot of sleeping Christians. There's a lot of people who, you know, claim that they were Christians and they say, oh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not walking with the Lord anymore. The Lord gave up on me. No, 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 no. The Lord never gives up on you. What happens is that we give up on the Lord. Oh, the Lord turned his back on me. Okay, you know what? If that's the case, you turned your back on him. Look, turn around. Turn around. Take, take your, your crack lifestyle. Take your sex, your drugs, your alcohol. Take your party lifestyle and turn around. Put your back to those things. And walk with me. Let's walk with the Lord together. See, this is beautiful, beautiful Peter who's speaking. And so look what happens. He says in verse 12, Then the Spirit, notice the capital S, the Holy Spirit, told me, told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren, I think this is so cool because remember how last week when I was, we were going through chapter 10, it was like, you know, at least two people. I say, I think it's two, could be three, but you know, maybe two, could be more. But it's revealed here in verse 12, it was six. I love that so much when this happens because there's going to be times you're reading the Bible and you have all these questions and you look at the verses and you're like, okay, so maybe it's two, could be 10, I don't know. And you keep reading and the Lord reveals, okay, look, it's six brethren. So you remember I says, you know, at least six. So here we see it's 10 because there were the two servants from Cornelius' house and then plus his, uh, 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 his aide that was with them, the, uh, the, the two servants and then the... Uh, uh, his attendant, and then so he met up with Peter, so that that makes four, and then he says here six brethren, so four plus six, ten. I'm not a you know good mathematician, but I presume that's right, and I'm too lazy to bust up my calculator. But look, it's so cool. How, you see how the Lord works. Like you get to have this idea in your mind. Well, you know, is this? And you have these questions for the Lord, and you keep reading. He'll answer. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the, an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. I love this so much. Tell this to a Calvinist. And the Calvinist says, you know, you can't come to Christ unless the Holy Spirit brings you to Christ. And tell them this, these verses in verse 13 and 14. 
And the angel of the Lord said, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Tell that to a Calvinist. Tell that to a Reformed theology person. Tell that to your Presbyterian friends. You see? And they say, wow, the Holy Spirit's like, well, remember Acts chapter 8? There were people who believed in Jesus Christ. They accepted Jesus Christ. They accepted the word. But you know what? The Holy Spirit wasn't in them. And when Peter and John laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, except one by the name of Simon. The Holy Spirit skipped over Simon because his heart wasn't right before the Lord. The same exact same thing today. God never changes. It's culture that changes. And so he says this in verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. And I think this is so cool. I mean, uh, I don't want to inject humor. But I think it's kind of cool because what the Lord has allowed Peter to do is he could legitimately, you know, he could claim he has deniability here. A little legalese. You know, not just plausible deniability, like legit deniability. He could say, look, this is what happened. He's just giving a report. There's no fluff, no puffery, no nothing. He's giving a report. He's saying, look, this way, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. You see how the Holy Spirit is like, the Holy Spirit was helping Peter, even without Peter knowing that he was being helped for, you know, a couple days later, however much time it took him to get from uh, 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 Caesarea to Judea. So the Holy Spirit was helping him. In verse 16, and I love this so much. I highlight verse 16. I don't want to lord over your faith. I do not want to do that in any way, shape, or form. But highlight these words. Then I remembered the word of the Lord. Highlight that. Then I remembered the word of the Lord. Do you remember last week when we were studying in chapter 10 how John, uh, uh, Peter was nonplussed? Nonplussed. I, you know, I saw the translation of that and I was like, nonplussed? What in the world is that? So good old Google, type it in. Google, what is nonplussed? It's to be unsure. Unsure. Uncertainty. Lord, what do I do? And as verse 17 of chapter 10 says, Peter wondered within himself. It's like, what, what's going on? What do I do, Lord? And, you know, in verse 16, I hope you highlight this word, these words. Then I remembered the word of the Lord. Highlight those words. Remembered is to recollect. Recollect. Have recollection. That's what's so beautiful about intimacy with the Lord. You could be in any book in the Bible. You start reading and what you're doing is you're taking His Word off these pages and you're putting them in your heart. You're putting them in your mind and the Holy Spirit is like, you know, a little filing system. Putting this file cabinet and this filing system, you know, this cabinet over here and you're going to go through life and you're like, Lord, what do I do? And then all of a sudden, the Spirit will help you. Okay, let's open up this file cabinet. This is what I'm showing you. This is what I'm how I'm leading you. This is how I'm directing you. He recollected the word of the Lord. 
That's what's so beautiful about a steady diet of the Word of God. I was reading an article about an update, you know, a little side note about an update that it, I forgot what church it was, a church somewhere overseas, a Lutheran church, and they're editing their modern Bibles. And they're taking, I think they're changing the sex of God and for instead of a male figure, they're just changing it. So I say that because you have to be very careful with the modern day translations. You know, if you have actual paper Bible, hold on to that. Keep on to the hold on to the paper Bible because my fear. I don't know if this is gonna happen. My, my I wonder if you know that Bible apps and all these things is just you know somebody the app designer the app developer you know they're usually more liberal and you know as they want to conform be accepted by society. But what happens when society says, "Hey, this is hate speech"? What edits are they gonna make? You know, you do an update on your phone, you get the the latest. Wow, look, my Bible app it's freshly updated. I don't have the the number next to it, you know, or the time to update. And then you open it, you start reading it, and change something. It's been changed. It's been altered. No more male references to God. You know, it's now seeker friendly. So if you have a paper Bible, keep that Bible. Hold on to it. No, I'm not, it's not like you know. It's just a pondering of mine. How easy things can adjust. How easy. Things can shift. You already see it with like the NIV Bible. They're already making adjustments to that. The message, I don't even call the message a Bible. I call it, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not an advocate of the message Bible. So look what happens here. Uh, verse 16, Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So remember, John was wondering. He had the vision. And he was wondering in a previous chapter, like, Lord, what, what, what is it? What, what's going on here? And he's reflecting on the words of the Lord. Just like you, just like me, can reflect on the word of the Lord. Every jot, every tittle. You know, as much as I hate, there's certain things in the Bible that I can't stand. I hate. You say, like, what do you mean? I thought the Bible was good. Yes, the Bible is good. But when I say I can't hate, I hate events. I hate the problems that people get involved with. A lot of sexual things, a lot of idolatry, other gods. But you know what? I remember, I remember my God, lowercase g, which was alcohol. I remember my old God that would whisper in my ear and say, yeah, I'll take care of you. You have this problem. I'll make the pain go away. And sure enough, he did make the pain go away, you know, for a couple hours. Wake up in the morning. Where in the world am I? What happened last night? Wake up on a park bench. I don't even know where I am. You know, wake up on a park bench with the guys. That was that was my God, my lowercase g. You think he took care of me? Yeah, he took away. He numbed the pain in one area. But then when I wake up on a park bench, where in the world am I? Cold. Wet from the morning dew. Wake up with my face in a toilet. That's how that God took care of me. But the real God, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, He picked me up. He cleansed me. And He took care of me. And you know what? I fell in love with Him. I fell in love with Him. You see? It's so cool. That's what's so powerful about being in the Word. 
You're in the word and you get to some ugly parts like, oh man, I can't believe this guy's doing this. Man, I can't believe this girl's doing this. Man, I can't believe Israel is doing this with their idolatry. What are they doing? Like bowing the knee to Baal. What's happening? Why are they denying the Lord? Even like in the in the New Testament. Why is Simon doing this? What's going on in the church in Corinth? Why are they doing this? And I love these ugly aspects of the Bible. You know why? Because you might find yourself in those very situations. The valley of decision. And you can learn from their mistakes. You say, well, you know what? I'll probably never be in that situation. Okay, but you're going to come across somebody who has been. Or maybe is in that situation. And you now have in your file cabinet, in your heart, the Holy Spirit can say, hey, you know what? Direct this person over here. That's what's so beautiful about a steady diet of the Word of God in your life. Because He'll minister to you. He'll comfort you. And so look what happens here. In verse 18, If therefore God gave them the same gift as He gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? I love this. Who, who am I? Who are you? Who are we that we can withstand God? And I love verse 18. You know why? Drama over. Drama over. I'll say it again. Drama over. That's like oh, my tears throwing down my cheeks. Drama is over. When they heard these things, they became silent. Drama over. And they glorified God. You see how beautiful this is? I don't want to inject heresy. I don't want to sound heretical in saying this. But what if Peter was just the average Joe? What if Peter didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and he was saying these things? No, there would be a misalignment. His life wouldn't align to what he's saying. But then what about if, you know, he did have the fruit of the Spirit, but what he was saying didn't align with Scripture? That's even... That's even more scary, in my opinion. Because when the crackhead, it's like, wow, you know, they're a crackhead. You can identify it. But then this, the person that appears like a brother or sister in Christ, spewing poison, to me, those are more dangerous people. Because they give the appearance of godliness. But it's just a veneer. That's all it is. It's just a veneer. That's why I say they're more, not more scary. Uh, the fight is more intense. The fight is more intense. Because those people tend to know the Bible. And they know the Bible and they'll twist the Bible. You know, just like, you know, the, the Pharisees with Jesus. Uh, you know, we're... We're hardcore. We believe Moses. And Jesus Christ is like, how can you believe Moses? Moses wrote about me. Moses wrote about me. That's what he told them. You see what's happening here? Drama. So it's like, you know, a lot of drama. What's happening here in chapter 11? Verse 2. There was contention. Peter, what's happening? Why are you doing this? Why you ate with those people? And then all of a sudden, he starts to, he opens his mouth and starts to speak. Remember who Peter was? Remember if Peter came to our church and started to speak, Peter, 
Why did you do this? Why I don't get it. What's happening? I got some beef with you, man. And he starts to speak. And as he's speaking, you remember. Wow, I remember when Peter told me about Jesus Christ. I remember when I was, you know, I had my face in the toilet. And then all of a sudden, he like picked me up when I felt like dirt. Peter came alongside me. He didn't ask for my money. You know, he didn't steal my wallet while I was down. No, he gave me good news. He didn't care that my breath smelled like, you know, junk. He didn't care about all that. He didn't care that I had vomit on my shirt. No, he came. He picked me up. He told me the good news. He told me about Jesus Christ. He took me under his wing. And he, you know, he's not just a talker of the talk. He walks the walk literally to his death. He knows. Remember the Lord told him, Peter, you're going to die one day. Peter doesn't know when that day is going to happen, when that day is going to come. And instead of, you know, heading for the hills and saying, nope, I want, I want to be in this life. I, want, I like my life. He carried on. He continued. That's what I mean when I say righteousness precedes you. Righteousness can be your trail, a beautiful, beautiful trail. Righteousness can be your bubble. Holiness can be your bubble. But what happens when it's wickedness, wretchedness, carnality, pride, selfishness? It's like, I don't want to be with that guy. I don't want to be with that girl. You know, yeah, I'll say, hi, how are you? Maybe shoot the breeze for about two minutes and then I'm out of dodge. Because like, you know, it's just, you know, Lord, give me grace. You know, help me be a fisherman for this person. You know, help me win this soul to Christ. Help me win this person to Christ. Or help me to correct this person in your word, in the truth and love. Because they're in crazy town. Spiritually bipolar. You ever talk to a bipolar person? Crazy. They're like laughing one minute. Ha, 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 ha. And you go, you know, get some more water, you know, fill your, fill your juice, get some more orange juice in your cup. You come back, they're mad at you. Like, what, what happened? What happened? Bipolar. Nothing happened. They're just crazy. But the same thing happens in our faith. Spiritually bipolar. Tossed to and fro by various doctrines. Oh, what does this guy say? Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, look how awesome this is. Oh, what does this guy say? Oh, cool, cool, awesome. What does this lady say? Oh, yeah, let me read her book. All this. And tossed to and fro by all, all kinds of doctrine. One minute they're this. Next minute they're that. Next year they're this. Next year, they're that. Tossed to and fro by all kinds of doctrine. They say, hey, get off those dumb boats and get on the ark. Capital A, Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh. Get on firm ground. And so look what happens here. You know, the drama's over. Dissipates. It says, then they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Problem solved. Praise be unto the Lord. The drama became non-drama. You know? Non-dramatic. You see, these are different Christians than you see today. The run-of-the-mill Christians that you see today, they're different in the book of Acts. Why is that? Why is that? Perhaps, perhaps it's because they say the Holy Spirit worked in the book of Acts 
It's reserved for that time period. It's not for this dispensation. And they grieved the Holy Spirit in so saying. Maybe. Perhaps. Me personally, I believe that's the case. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So Phoenicia is to the north of Jerusalem. Cyprus is the northwest island. And Antioch, which is far, very far northwest, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So verse 19 kicks off like a different shift. Because you remember when there was the diaspora? You heard mention when Stephen was killed and Stephen was... Uh, 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 um, uh, uh, martyr, the first martyr in accordance with the faith. But then look what happens in chapter 8, verse 1. Saul, who was consenting to his death, speak about Stephen, at that time a great persecution arose against the church. A great persecution. So what happened? You know, it was very... Mobility for rich people is easy. Piece of cake. Pack up. You know, you just... You don't have to pack up. You just go. You hire people to pack up for you. You know, so it's like, okay, we're going to tell your servants, okay, pack up this, load up the animals, and we're going. We're, we're out of here. You know, load up the animals. We'll go to dock, and we're going to go to the island of Cyprus. We're out of here. When the east started to get hot and heavy in Jerusalem, the cost of being a Christian started to cost people their lives. And so there's mention of this, these people that were scattered in verse 19 and still in verse 11 or chapter 11. 1119, people who were scattered. But then, you know, as they're scattered, keep in mind that they're still dropping seeds. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. So they were, you know, Greek-speaking Jews and then the Hebrew-speaking Jews. So, you know, what's so cool about this is that, you know, Paul, we're going to get into, you know, he's Saul. He's still Saul. They're going to change his His name is going to be changed pretty soon. Don't forget that Paul is God's chosen vessel unto the Gentiles. And remember, that was revealed to Ananias in chapter 9, verse 15. And so what's so cool is in a couple of chapters, you're going to see Paul go on his missionary journey to go and share the good news unto Gentiles, to Jew first, but then also to Gentiles. And I love it so much because, you know, not to put it in business terms, but it's kind of like an untapped market, so to speak. And how the Lord is using the Jews, you know, as like, you know, say, for example, if we were intelligence officers, you know, say we're intelligence officers and, you know, we're going to go into a hot zone. We're going to go to uh, Ramadi. Well, what happened in intelligence, off, like CIA, FBI, you know, probably the DEA, too. They have these safe houses throughout the all over the world and they keep changing. They're not like they don't just have one safe house and then it stays a safe house forever. No, they, it rotates. It keeps changing locations for safety reasons. So say, for example, we're going to go do some business in Ramadi. And it's like, it's just, you know, me and you, and we're going to Ramadi. It's like, okay, well, it's dangerous there. You know, if they find out we're Americans, we're toast. So we have to go to a safe house and, you know, dress a certain way, have, a, you know, proper concealment and arrange a meeting, you know, and, you know, at a coffee shop in Ramadi. So in Ramadi, we have a coffee shop and go back to the safe house. The safe house, it's Americanized, you know, we eat our hamburgers, hot dogs. You know, maybe not all those, you know, just because of the sense people are like, well, it's just American food, you know. So that's what's, that's that's how my mind goes when I think about the Jews as like a, like a safe house, so to speak, for 
for uh, uh, the mission field for the Gentiles. It's like the Jewish safe houses. Because remember, Messianic Jews, It's there were more Jews than Messianic Jews. The, the Christian Jewish Christians were not as many in population. So I see them as like little safe. That's just how my mind goes. Like little safe houses for the for the Gentile outreach. And it's so cool what's happening here. They're kind of like a hub for Paul. And we're going to see that more. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself in saying that. But we're going to see that more as Paul goes, you know, house to house, synagogue to synagogue and house to house. You know, he stays in uh, uh, Christian homes, but they're Jewish. Jews who believe in Jesus Christ. And so it says here that um, they uh, um, spoke to Hel- the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. In verse 21, so this is outside of Jerusalem now, you know, like verse 19, it kicks off, it shifts into a different uh, tenor of, of, of events that's happening. So it's kind of like, you know, the, remember, these are the rich people. I shouldn't say the rich people, but the people that had more money. The poor people stayed in Jerusalem because they, I mean, like say, for example, if, um, I don't know, the, the Canadians invade, you know, and there's news like, wow, you know, the Canadians, they're really coming hard against us. You know how easy it is for wealthy people to say, okay, we're going to Florida. You know, pack up everything. You just pay somebody. I can just, you know, not even sign a check. Just auto pay, you know. We'll load up everything, pay. I'm going to go to Florida and, you know, this is where I'm going to stay. And just bring everything over here. Piece of cake. But the poor people, it's like, oh, man, you know, you're toast. The Canadians are coming. You know, and then it's like, whoa, like, what happens when you're there? It's like, oh man, all these people left and it's just me. I'm here all by myself. What do I do? My family, what do I do? It's so cool what happens because we're going to see a picture of the church taking care of the church. One body, many parts. So look what happens. Verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Remember Barnabas, son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. The only one, one of the only ones that took in Saul, former persecutor of the church. You may, we say, what do you mean one of the ones? Well, remember there's Ananias. Ananias and Barnabas, two beautiful men. Beautiful, beautiful men. They have a beautiful bubble around them. A nice holy bubble around them. I want to I wanna be next to these guys. You know, I want to, like the marriage supper. Oh man, there's so many people I can't wait to talk to. And it's so cool. Like, look what happens here. So they sent Barnabas, the son of encouragement. In verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them, encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. This word purpose is so beautiful. Prothesis in the Greek translates as Purposeful, intentional, exposed before God. It also translates as the showbread. Showbread in the holy temple. Very interesting word here. Purpose. You know, to be exposed before God. And the showbread in the holy temple. And remember, the showbread written in the law, which is in the, in the tabernacle. There's three chambers in the tabernacle. You go in the, the front door, not the, like the front gate. You go in through there, 
and then you're in the outer court, and then you're in, or not the outer court, but you're inside the, the main court, and then you go inside, another. the priest would go inside the next build, the next, the, the main covering, which is, that would go into the, the, the holy place, but then inside of there, there's a third chamber, which is the Holy of Holies. That's where the high priest goes. So there's those three locations. The showbread is in the second location. The table of the showbread. Isn't that so beautiful? Purpose. And you know what? Written in the law, it's not unleavened. The bread is not unleavened. It's just like, you know, it's like a loaf of bread. Well, I shouldn't say it. it was more like a cake. But it's like, it's not unleavened. You'd think like, wow, in a holy place, shouldn't it be unleavened? And I, I always wondered like, why? Why is it leavened? There's no, there's no biblical indication that it's unleavened. It's not specified that it's unleavened bread. Which means it has leaven. As a shadow of things to come. You know what that means for you and for me? He knows your carnality. He knows we're carnal people. We're not glorified yet. We're in these earth suits. You know, we're not, we haven't shed these off yet. It's going to happen. You know, when you uh, believe in Jesus Christ and obey him, it's faith and works. You know, faith without works is dead. But when the two working together, faith and obedience, it's beautiful. You will receive a glorified body. It's not a matter of like if, it's a matter of when. It's going to happen. Take it to the bank as surely as the Lord lives. Now, if you're playing games with the Lord, if you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but then you're beating on your wife, cheating on your wife, doing your drugs, doing your crack, doing your alcohol, doing your sexual stuff. It's like, wait a second, don't be deceived. These people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You say, hey, don't play games with the Lord. That with purpose of heart, you can continue with the Lord. Just as Barnabas, the son of encouragement, said to the church. And let that be your showbread in the holy place. What does that mean? Fully exposed before the Lord. He knows your carnal nature. He knows that, yeah, you know, you know, you might have some carnal issues. But you know what? The Lord is going to deal with it. The Lord cleans his own fish. It's not to say that you take advantage of God's grace. I'll tell you what it means for me personally. I've told you before, I have anger issues. What's very dangerous for me is when anger transitions into rage. And that can happen in like a snap of a finger. And what the Lord has taught me is to say, hey, you know what? Let yourself be cheated. He even says that the church in Corinth. Paul says, hey, what's up with this beef with you? Why not rather let yourself be cheated? It's like that's such a radical concept. You know, think about what that verse alone would do to drama in a church. Somebody could, hey, Jay, this guy said this. Hey, you know, this guy said this. There's a beef. Oh, yeah, we're cussing each other out. Okay, wait, let's just stop for a moment. First of all, repent for cussing. You know, it's not good. It's not because, you know, you have to, I want the Shekinah glory to be inside your temple. You know, so carnality works against that. You know, so just repent. Just say, like, Lord, forgive me. You blew it. You shouldn't have said that. You know, if I was Catholic, I'd say, you know, pray the rosary a million times. But I'm not Catholic. I follow the truth of God's word. And you know what's so cool is to say, you know what, the Lord knows your carnal nature. But why not rather let yourself be cheated when you have this beef? And that was a lesson the Lord taught me. It took years, and I'm still learning. It's to say, you know what, it kind of scares me. You know what my biggest fear is in the last days? 
me, the man in the mirror. That's my biggest fear. I don't want to lose it. <laughs> you know? I don't want to lose it. And then, you know, it's like, you know, when Paul prays, like, Lord, I, I pray that you take this, take this thorn out of my side. The Lord says, no, I'm going to leave those. Those are for you. Those thorns are specifically in your side for a reason. You know why? Because they keep your heart sensitive. They keep you your heart soft before me. They make you go to your knees and pray. It's like, wow, you see how the Lord works? So many times people say, oh, you know what, Lord, take this from my life. Take this from my life. Take this from my life. What if the Lord is like, you know what? My grace is sufficient. If that's what's in your life, you know, I'm using that because it makes you go to your knees. And then all of a sudden you start to learn. And your prayers change. Your prayers like, Lord, take this from my life. Take this from my life. And your prayers change. Lord, thank you for putting this in my life. Never in my wildest dreams that I ever think, that I ever, ever, ever think that my former wretchedness, my former wickedness, and the depths therein could be used to glorify the Lord. Never. Never. So much wickedness that you would vomit. If I told you, oh yeah, I did that. Yeah, I partook in that. You would vomit. And you would disown me. You'd say, you know what? I never want to see you again. But to think that the wretchedness of that guy could be used to glorify the Lord in winning souls, talking with a person. Hey, man, I got this problem, you know, like, look, this is what happened. Talk to another guy, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I'm so ashamed. I don't even want to tell you. Just tell me. Let's go over. Let's talk about this. It says, yeah, this is what happened. It's like, man, you know, you need to repent. You need to repent. And you know what's so cool about a witness before the Lord? When you talk to somebody, they say, wow, you know what? The Lord did that with you. Maybe he'll do it for me too. That's what I love about my pastor in California. You know, you hear his testimony. He's like, man, you know what? He murdered his wife. He almost murdered his wife. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. I almost did that too. <laughs> he has anger issues. Wow, I got anger issues. He has violence in his life. Wow, I'm violent. He likes the alcohol, this other stuff. It's like, man, that's me. And look at this guy now. I look at him and it's like, wow, look at him. And you know what's so cool? Today, he's still going. Praise be to the Lord. He's still going. He's still enduring. That's what I love so much about these people, these men, these women, young, old, all these people with beautiful, beautiful bubbles. Beautiful, beautiful bubbles. It's like, wow, I want to be next to that bubble. I don't want to be next to this crackhead. I don't want to be next to this alcoholic. I don't want to be next to this sex addict. I don't want to be next to this, you know, this guy who's on his fifth marriage. I don't want that. Not to say that I don't like these people. It's to say, you know, these are the fish. You know, I want to cast a line to them. And stand on the, you know, the firm rock of salvation. And say, hey, take a bite of this. Take a bite. God loves you. Stop playing games with the crack. Stop playing games with your sex. Stop playing games with the Lord. 
You need to deny those idols. Beautiful, beautiful Barnabas, he goes up to the church in these outskirts of Jerusalem and some of them far regions. And he goes to encourage them all that with purpose of heart. It's like your showbread before the Lord. That they should continue with the Lord. Cleave unto the Lord. It's an encouragement to this day. Barnabas is still encouraging to this day. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Beautiful Barnabas. I love this man so much. You know what's so cool about these people in the Bible? It's like, wow, you know, you raise up kids. And it's like, wow, look how beautiful these men are. You know, you tell your daughter, look how beautiful this man are. This, these are attributes that you want. You know, when Joe Schmo, I don't care what he looks like. He could be chiseled, everything. You know, and he says, hey, you know, toots, let's go out to dinner. I'll take you out. I'll show you a real good time. A godly daughter's going to say, go fly a kite, dude. You're crazy. But then another guy, a godly guy, is going to say, hey, you know what? Um, you know, I don't know what they say, <laughs> you know? Go get some coffee or something, you know. Go get a Coke. You know, let's talk. You know, let's pray. I see you at church. You know, maybe I can sit next to you. We can pray together. Little Bible studies, you know. So cool. More girl, you know, all these young guys. Oh, yeah, I want a girl like this. I want a girl like this. You read the Bible. It's like, well, desire a female like this. The godly women. Because you know what? You're going to have babies one day. And you're going to raise up a child. And you know what? If you have this... You know, this girl that's an alcoholic with you and she's doing the crack with you and doing all these other sexual things. It's like, you're going to have that raise your kids? No, honor the Lord. Honor the Lord. And, you know, I'm talking a lot of smack, you know. If you find yourself in situations as like, you know, maybe you are a crackhead. You know, maybe you are a sex addict. Maybe you are alcoholic. You know what? It's to say, deny those things. Believe in Jesus Christ. Repent. Receive Him as your Lord and Savior. You say, oh man, you know, that's impossible. It's not impossible. God loves you, you know. That's why He sent His only begotten Son to die on a cross. Because the wages of your sin would transfer from you to Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. And because He died and rose again, you're going to rise again with Him. That's called the good news. That's called the good news. Because you're not going to die in sin. You say, we're all going to die. Yes, we're all going to die. But there's a second death. Everybody, it's appointed for man to die once and then judgment. You die here on this earth, but then you're going to stand before the Lord one day. You stand before the Lord, He's going to say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my paradise. Or He's going to say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. It's a choice. I mean, it's... uh, It's how it is. I can't candy coat that anyway. That's how it is. I urge you to choose life. Choose Jesus Christ. And so Barnabas in verse 24, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So the Lord is increasing, increasing their numbers. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. So he heads east. You know, he heads east and everything's word of mouth. There's no Facebook, you know, no social media, no cell phones, no nothing, no email, no mail. Oh, there's a mail system back then, but. 
he goes, you know, he walks on, you know, on, on foot. It says he goes to, uh, 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 then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. The, the Roman mail system. I mean, it was advanced, you know, but not as advanced as today. But it was advanced compared to, you know, other cultures. In verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So now he goes back west. He goes, he's, he goes, he heads east uh, to Tarsus, and now they go back west to Antioch. So it was for a whole year that they assembled as Sunago, is what it is in the Greek, Sunago, is to join in fellowship. That they assembled with the church and taught. I love this. So look at the combination here. I mean, Paul and Barnabas, that's like, that's like a dream team. You see like the basketball, 1990, I forgot what it was, the, the dream team. The basketball dream team. That's like this is like the biblical dream, like the Christian dream team, the fisherman dream team. You got a bold teacher and a bold encourager, and it's like, wow, what an unstoppable force here. And so look what happens. They assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So look at verse 27 in closing. It says, And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. These are foretellers. Uh, biblical foretellers. Not like, you know, the soothsayers of the, that are, you know, um, God doesn't like the soothsayers. These, these are like prophets, the, the foretellers. In verse 28, Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is very active. Very active and guiding the people, guiding the church individually, corporately as a church body. You see, this Holy Spirit is very active. You know, you see the book of Acts. It's like, okay, it's the Acts of the Apostles. But don't forget, there's Acts of the Disciples, Acts of the Lord, Acts of the Holy Spirit, Acts of the angelic realm, things that are happening. You see these Acts, it's like, it's so beautiful. And to reserve this for 2,000 years ago and close the box there, that's... I'm never going to get that. You know, I think I've said that for every study in the book of Acts, um, and even maybe some Wednesdays too, and I'm never going to get tired of saying that. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is alive and well today, and He desires to do the Acts in your life today. And so look what happens here. One of them stood, uh, 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 then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine. Translates as a scarcity of food or period of hunger throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So uh, Claudius is the Caesar. You know, there's Julius Caesar. And after Julius Caesar, they had a succession of Caesars. You know, from in accordance with our faith, I'll tell you these Caesars. Bear with me a moment. So there's Caesar Augustus. That's the, the one who was Caesar when Jesus was born. He, he's the one who gave the order for the census and the registering of the people. That's from Luke chapter 2, verse 1. There's Tiberius, uh, Caesar Tiberius. He's, uh, 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 he was uh, the, the Caesar when John the Baptist preached and he, uh, was preaching the, uh, preparing the way of the Lord. That's from Luke chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Then there's Caligula, who was the nephew of Tiberius, still in the Tiberius family. Bad guy. He only ruled for about three years. There's Claudius, Caesar Claudius. Uh, 
And this is the one that's referenced in, in Acts 11. This is the, the famine during the rule of Claudius. Then there's Caesar Nero. And this is the one who Paul appeals to. We're going to get to that in Acts chapter 25. But this is the one who Paul appeals to when he says, you know what, I'm a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar by the right, exercising his, his Roman rights. He had the option to appeal to Caesar and he, he used those rights. He exercised those rights. Nero is also the one who had Peter and Paul killed. This is where heavy persecution, persecution was already happening, but this under, under Nero, heavy, heavy persecution starts to begin, and it gets worse. It gets much, much worse. And then there's Vespasian. Prior to the Vespasian, there was Galba, Otho, and Vitellius. These are, uh, there was a period of time where there was a succession of, within a span of one year, there was a group of, uh, of uh, Caesars. You know, there's a lot of uh, infighting because what happened, Nero committed suicide. So Nero committed suicide, and so there was like all these people positioning for power. You know, I want to be, it'd be like, you know, like we have a uh, president, vice president, speaker of the house, and then the whip, minority whip, and then it's like, you know, in succession, it's like, okay, if the president dies, VP, VP dies, then you have good old Nancy Pelosi, and you have, uh, she dies, then you have the minority whip. It's like it, all of them fighting for position. So that's what happened in Rome. You know, and so under Vespasian, you know, the, the Vespasian is the one who had the temple. The temple was destroyed under his rule in 70 AD. He's also the one where, you know, the Colosseum started to, uh, uh, the construction for the Colosseum was, was started under his rule. You say, why are you bringing up the Colosseum? Let's, let's get back to Acts. Well, hold on. <laughs> The Colosseum in Rome was built with this. There's a, a, a transcript there where it says built with the spoils of Rome. An inscription there on the, on, on the stone. Built with the spoils of war. That's what it says. And when you enter into the area of the, of the, uh, of the, where the Colosseum is, there's called the Arch of Titus. And the Arch of Titus, it's, uh, it's, you see a picture of it and you see like the, 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 the spoils of war. It take, what are the spoils of war? The temple vessels, the menorah, the, the lamp, the lampstand. And they're taking it. You see the table of the showbread on it. You see the trumpets. All these things. That's why Jews today, they appeal to Rome via the uh, uh, Vatican. They say, hey, give us back our temple artifacts. Give us back our temple vessels. They always appeal. Once a year, they always write a letter. All these Orthodox rabbis say, hey, Pope, give us back our stuff. So after uh, uh, Vespasian, there was Titus, and this is where both the Jews and the Christians suffered major, major persecution, major persecution. It was under, uh, under Titus where the, uh, uh, the construction of the Colosseum was finished, and in the Colosseum, they used the Colosseum to kill Christians. It was like their entertainment area, and they used it to kill Christians. They would take persecuted Christians, take families, segregate the women do unspeakable things with the women and then all, you know, making the men watch. And then all of a sudden, you know, they'd join them back together and then they'd release the animals, bears, lions, tigers, and they would re release them and they would kill the Christians, lions, eating, eating Christians, eating our brothers, eating our sisters, naked bodies, our brothers, our sisters. And the crowd would cheer, you know, yeah, you know, cheering, hooting and hollering. Entertainment, good old entertainment. Stupid. It's like a spell. You ever watch somebody you know, watching TV? It's like they're under a spell. Like you wave your hand in front of them. Hello, hello. It's like they're under a spell. Crazy days. 
And then after Titus, there's Domitian. And Domitian, Domitian he's, he's the one who exiled John, uh, uh, John uh, uh, the Apostle to the island of Patmos. He wrote the book of Revelation. And so the arch of Titus was completed under uh, Domitian. And he entry, in, entry into Rome, and you see it's kind of like mocking the Jews. Mocking the Jews. Ha ha, we got your, we got your temple, your temple vessels. You know, crazy. You say, like, why did you go through all that spiel? Well, you know, it, very important. Very important things. Because it's all coming to a head. Remember, the Lord one day is going to gather the nations. He's going to gather the nations for a great battle called Armageddon. Is to choose you this day whom you shall serve. Nothing new under the sun. The Colosseum, you know, mocking the Christians. You know, the guards, you know, people for the sake of entertainment. They separate the Christian men. Have them over, you know, with sword and spear. Cordon them off in one area. And make them watch what they do to their wives and daughters. And then all of a sudden they join them back together. You know, imagine consoling your wife, your daughter. You know, telling her it's going to be okay after what just happened. And then all of a sudden the lions come out. Terrible, treacherous days. Treacherous days back then. And the Bible teaches treacherous days are coming. More treacherous days. So going back to Acts chapter 11. In this uh, uh, Agabus. He prophesied that there was going to be a famine throughout all the world in verse 28, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. That's what we just read, a little list of the Caesars during, you know, the, you know, the church age. It says, then the disciples, so the church is now mobilized. You know, this guy comes and he, he says, by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit revealed this thing. They told him what was going to happen in the future. And so what does the church do? He says, then the disciples in verse 29, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Remember the diaspora, the wealthy people, they're like, man, you know what? We're getting killed for being a Christian. Let's pack up. We're out of here. But what about the poor people who could remain back? They, they didn't have that flexibility. You know, the, uh, some of them living paycheck to paycheck, barely getting by. And maybe they were servants in the in the house of their master, and the master left. So now they're just they're stuck in Jerusalem, where there's hardcore persecution happening, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And what does the church do? They mobilize. It's so beautiful because the church there's the diaspora. The, the church scatters. They're still dropping seeds, so the church is growing. But then at the same time, when they find out, hey, you know what? The Lord is revealing that there's going to be a famine. What do they do? They send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. You see how beautiful this is? Relief. One body. Many parts. It says in verse 30, in closing, this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas and Saul, beautiful combination. You know, the bold teacher and the bold encourager. Beautiful combination. What do they do? They bring aid from these fellowships in the, you know, the outskirts of Jerusalem. The outskirts of Judea, like faraway lands, and they bring this relief in. You know, yeah, you guys are poor, but you know what? Look what we look what the church has done. You know, look what the Lord has done through the church, look what they provided. And they come and they bring it to the elders, and then the elders distribute like veins, supplying need to, you know, throughout the body. And blood supply. White blood cells, red blood cells, a nice supply to the muscles. 
You see, one body, many parts. So beautiful what we read in chapter 11. Yeah, there's some drama that arises in the church. And I'm not a fan of drama. But look at it. Verse 18 blows me away. They became silent and they glorified the Lord. That's what's so beautiful about your holy bubble. You know, when your light shines, when you let your light shine, you know what? The world's going to hate you. But who cares? Uh, the Lord says, you know, remember that they hated me first. Peter even rejoices. He says, you know what? I rejoice that I'm, you know, counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. Let that be your showbread that was pur with purpose of heart. That you continue with the Lord, that you cleave unto the Lord until the day you die, until the day you take your last breath. Because you know what's going to happen? You're going to open your eyes. You're going to inhale. Behold paradise. So we're going to end our study here. We'll pick up next week in chapter 12. Lord willing. God bless you guys. Love you guys.